Hey, so if you're listening to this, or you're not listening yet, but if you're listening to me talking, you're about to hear a lecture from Psychology, also Biology, 2606, Introduction to Behavioral Neuroscience for the fall term of 2023. How in the hell is it 2023? That means I'm 58 years old, and I imagine that makes me old. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this, but, uh, you know, if you're one of my students, great. Uh, I'm glad you're doing this, and I do this for you. If you're somebody else listening, I really don't care what you think, but uh, actually, it's pretty great because I'm really good at this. Enjoy. Okay, so we ended up last time talking about uh, different... Well, sort of gross internal organization of the brain. So we have four lobes. Quickly go over this. This is where we were. Um, and I, as I say here, in general, the four lobes have more or less different functions, but remember, this is a generalization. So let's see. Uh, just, you can just yell at it. Well, yell. Just say, what's the frontal lobe do? Cognition, good. What else, John? So the parietal lobe. No, is the frontal lobe. Oh, the, the frontal, frontal lobe is um, thinking. Yeah, cognition, thinking. Exactly. What else? Give me one word. What else? Personality. Personality. See, that's what you want. One word. Because remember, if I have you label a brain diagram, it's going to say, give me a word, two-word explanation. So let's go practice. Anything else you think is in the frontal lobe? We've said cognition, thinking, and, and personality. That's what I would think, but. I think that's, but go ahead. Anger management? Maybe? I, I specifically, it does do a lot of inhibition. Sure, though I don't tend to think of it that way. That's not bad. I don't think you'd get a point for that. I don't think so. Yeah. I think thinking of personality, cognition, you've all used those words. So again, try to think of one, one or two words. Parietal. Right up here, what's the parietal lobe do? Visual, spatial, thinking. Think, uh, yeah, all this thinking, but I mean, thinking for, for frontal is good. Thinking for parietal, it sounds more like you're grasping at straws. Go ahead. Language spatial to right and left. Right and left, very good. Anything spatial. Other people, other people, this, this group over here is good, but over here. Okay, but I think, I think spatial, I think. We haven't talked a lot about what it does yet, so that's fine. Temporal lobe, remember, you can always remember that one because it's by your temples. Anybody over here that? Language processing. Language processing, excellent. Anything else? Wait a sec, John, no, no. We're going with this side of the room. Hearing. Hearing, very nice. Those are good. Occipital. Vision. Vision. That's seeing. Yes, seeing vision. I always like, I think of it as vision because seeing is what your eyes do, and I don't really think this, this is my own version of it, of the world, so I'm not entirely sure this is what technically people would say, but seeing, I think, happens with your eyes, and vision happens with your brain, but that's probably me making a distinction that isn't really a difference. But vision, I think visual analysis is flawed, or vision, just vision's flawed. This is good, so it seems like We've, a lot of you have internalized the internal organization of the brain. It's too bright in here. I mean, I can't read that, so 
And I don't know if you figured this out yet. Those are my notes. Don't I have your lecture notes? You have them. I don't know. I've been doing this a long time. I pretty much know what I'm going to say by looking at something. That's called just knowing how to do my job. Anyway, um, so in general, they have function. But you got to remember, I was talking in general. You also have to remember that both sides, you have a left temporal and a right temporal. A left occipital and a right occipital. Sorry, I forgot the Brady diagram. I'm going to use my head. I could have used, let me just grab Joe and bring him up here. He's my son. I'm going You. Now, um, so, uh, yeah, so the one I, temporal, temporal is easy because it's temporal. That's, and, then, and then occipital, occipital bone, frontal's at the front. Thank you, neuroscience, for not using Latin or Greek. Uh, parietal's the one that's left. That's, I always, until recently enough, uh, I, I, I always thought, okay, temporal, occipital, frontal, that one's left is parietal. Okay, good. So, Whatever works, as long, as long as it works for you. Um, so yeah, like it's left and right, and there are some differences between the left and the right. We'll get into that. It's not nearly as pronounced as a lot of people seem to think. Oh, I'm right-brained. No, you're not. <laughs> Unless you only have a right hemisphere, you're not right-brained. No one is right-brained. Who is left brain? Some people are no brain. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. All right. So, so let's look at some important subcortical structures. I'm just picking and choosing the, um, what I think are the highlights. So, and unfortunately, as I said, I, I forgot the brain. I, I had it sitting on my desk, and it's like, no, nah, I forgot to bring it. So I didn't bring it. So let's talk about some of these regions. We got hippocampus. So here we can actually see hippocampus, right? See, it's got that, you see, as I said, it's kind of, yeah, it's supposed to be shaped like a seahorse. It looks to me like a, more like a question mark, but I guess they decided they didn't want to use question mark because that didn't sound cool enough. So they went with hippocampus. Hippocampus is important in memory. Um, one of the things that hippocampus does in both us and in non-humans is it is important in remembering spatial locations, where you are, where you've been, where you're going. So um, cab drivers in London, England, have to pass a very difficult exam. Um, they have to know where every street in London, England is. They just know it off their head. That can't be easy. Also, because London's like a 2,000-year-old city, the streets aren't exactly a grid pattern. It's where some old Roman walked at some point. And enough of guys walk there. I guess that's a road. <laughs> it's, it's really non-trivial. Um, and when you look at the size of their hippocampus, the ones that, can, that pass the test, they actually have bigger hippocampus than you would expect. Is that being caused by them studying and learning the London street pattern, or is that already there and that makes them successful? Yes. It's almost certainly both of those things. Um, food storing birds, little chickadees, uh, things like that. They store food, recover it later. They have bigger hippocampus than you would expect. 
because they have to remember where they put their food, because if they don't, when they wake up in the morning, they have to eat. If they do not, they die. Yes. So, um, so do birds um, store food in the winter and... Um, yes. They, uh, they, if they don't, do they die if they don't <laughs> eat? Yes, and that's it. The, the key part, part of what you said there is the winter part. One of the things that with food stores is that they have evolved such that they don't migrate. They don't leave when it gets, when, when the food supply is scarce in the winter. What they do is they've evolved a fantastic memory system that allows them to remember where they put food. So they, the first thing a chickadee, for example, which chickadees, you know what a chickadee looks like, right? If you go in the winter, because they overwinter, they don't fly away, uh, you'll see chickens in the, in the trees, in trees and they're all um, puffed up. They, they, they're, they're, they hold their feathers. It's, it's like they're, they're, it's like they got goosebumps, except they're chickens. They're trying to stay warm. If they don't eat by the time, about 30 minutes after they wake up in the morning, they, they literally starve to death. But they don't eat much. They have to eat something akin to, like about the size of a sunflower seed is enough to keep them going. They only weigh 11 grams, eh, chickens? They weigh 11 grams, like they're small animals. But then what they do is they store food for tomorrow. So yeah, the winter is the key point here. Uh, and their campus is actually, it grows and shrinks. It's bigger in the winter than it is in the summer, because in the summer, they don't have to remember where all kinds of scattered food is. There's food everywhere. Pretty cool stuff. So hippocampus is important. The other thing it does in humans is it seems to consolidate what are called episodic memories. Consolidating means just, you know, put them together. Episodic memories are memories about you. They're personal. Okay? They're things that happened to you. So this morning, I had a bagel for breakfast. Knowing what I had for breakfast is episodic memory. Knowing what breakfast is is a different kind of memory. And it's run by an entirely different system. You want to learn all about memory? Psychology, 3717, next term. It'll be awesome. The guy who teaches it's a bit of a jerk. <laughs> but the point is, um, without a hippocampus, you don't remember these personal things about your life. And there's a very famous case of a guy named H.M. And H.M. Uh, lived in Connecticut, and he was having seizures. And it seemed like they started the hippocampus. So what happened was Scoville, not Scoville, Scoville, why did I put the extra either? Uh, Scoville, who was a neurosurgeon, um, removed his hippocampus. Because we didn't know what hippocampus did yet. And it seemed like, and that's where the, that's where the seizures started. So if you take away the part that started, and that's often how it was done. That's, in fact, it's still from a point of view. It's, it doesn't usually involve surgery anymore, but this was really bad. So they removed this guy's hippocampus, and his IQ went up. It went up because he didn't have to take the drugs to prevent the seizures anymore. And uh, anti-seizure medications, especially in the mid-1950s, were basically the equivalent of having a couple of martinis. Like, they're, they're barbiturates, and they're, they're fun drugs. But, but they're still <laughs> impaired, right? Like, they're a good time. Okay. Do they have any idea what causes seizures yet, or no? Uh, that depends on 
A lot? <laughs> a lot of things, yeah, it really, yeah. In such spotty cases, yes. Okay. But not always. And the thing with epilepsy is, that the weird thing with epilepsy is, epilepsy is just a, a bunch of symptoms. It's, it's not actually a same, it's like saying, we're gonna cure cancer, it's like saying we're gonna cure epilepsy, it's the same thing, there are all kinds of different things put together. Like there's all kinds of cancers, there's all kinds of things that can cause seizures, can cause epilepsy. Yeah, good question. Um, so, HM wakes up, he seems fine, and then he's like, I, he can't remember stuff. Remembers his name, but what a person who comes in to meet with him, Brenda Milner, and there's a reference you should know, and what Brenda Milner does is she thought, wait a second, I know what I'll do, I'm gonna do some memory tests in this guy. So she says, we're gonna do a little task and it's called mirror tracing. Mirror tracing is a pretty simple task. What it involves, do I wanna use, maybe I wanna use this instead. So what mirror tracing is, is you're presented with, usually it's a star, but it can be other things. Okay, so it's like that, and your task as a subject is to draw inside here, keep it inside the lines, which of course is pretty simple, but it's hard when you put, do that with a mirror. So what you have is you have a mirror right here, and the person doesn't actually look at the paper, they look at the mirror, and then suddenly left is down, right is up. It's very, it's hard. It's also easy to learn how to do. It'll take you about five minutes and you're perfect at it. Okay? So it's a pretty simple task. So what Milner did is she tested HM on mirror trace and he, just like anybody else, was fine at it after a few minutes. She said, thank you. I'll be back tomorrow. She comes back the next day. He has no idea who she is. Never met him. He has, but he feels like he's never met her. She worked with him until 2008 when he died. He still didn't know who she was. She presented the mirror tracing. She explained mirror tracing to him. He did it. He was really good at it right away, just like you'd be if you did it the day before. And then she said, have you ever done this before? And he said, I don't even know who you are. No, I've never done this before. So he doesn't remember something personally about himself, but he has, he, he has memory of the learning the task of learning narratives. So he remembers this, and you're saying, yeah, no, Dave, you didn't say he remembered it. No, he showed us he remembered it. He, he's better at it. Memory is just the persistence of learning. That's all it is. Right? So this is what happened here is that this showed that he... Had no, he couldn't consolidate, couldn't make new episodic memories. But he could make new what are called semantic memories. Those are facts about the world. Okay? Any questions about the HM case? Well, they'll come up a lot. They'll come up a lot. Very good. All right. So that's hippocampus. Uh, the amygdala, speaking of emotion, mentioned emotion. What do you do? I forget this video. Yeah, uh, it, it's important emotions, strong emotions, especially, especially strong emotions. Uh, so, uh, anger, fear, surprise, things like that, things that energize your behavior. Okay. Then there's thalamus, let's take a look, where's thalamus here? That's, uh, is it here? 
the thalamus is in essence like, well, it's like a router, really, more than anything. So you know at home you might have a router? Probably do, you probably don't just have one thing connected to the internet. So, or even just think of it here, you're probably all like I am on the AU public network right now, right? We all have different, we're all different devices, but and you're all getting the right information. So if one of you asks for something over the net, and you ask, and you ask, and you ask, we, you all get the stuff you ask for. When you ask for something, it doesn't just show up on her iPad, right? That would be bad. That's because what the router does is it routes signals out and back, right? That's what thalamus does, except with sensory information. Everything but smell. So vision, hearing, uh, touch sight, uh, sight. Yeah, touch as well. Everything but smell goes through thalamus. And then thalamus roots it to the right place. for further processing. Hypothalamus is important in homeostasis, okay, homeostasis, just meaning keeping steady states. So, I don't know, it can, depending on what part of hypothalamus you lesion in a rat, you can get them never to eat or never to stop eating because they don't feel full or they don't ever feel hungry. It keeps you, it keeps you warm, or it keeps your body temperature the right temperature by doing things like shivering, for example, or sweating. Uh, it keeps your, it, it, basically you're monitoring all the systems that have to be in a steady state that's controlled by hypothalamus, this little tiny thing, which is kind of great. The nucleus accumbens. The nucleus accumbens, which I don't think is on here, but it would be up, uh, let's see, it's close to what I'm Up here, it's, this is not a great, I, if I can reach my hand in underneath and grab it. Anyway, what the accumbens is, is part of the reward system in your brain. Um, it's part of a circuit called the mesolimbic, meso, means middle, M-E-S-O, mesolimbic, L-I-M-B-I-C, because a lot of this is part of what's called the limbic system. The mesolimbic dopamine system is the, what the accumbens is part of, and it's, the accumbens is stimulated when you feel anything good, that's your accumbens being stimulated. When you get a good mark on a test and you feel good about it, that's your accumbens being stimulated. When you eat something you enjoy eating, that's your accumbens being stimulated. When you have an orgasm, that's your accumbens being stimulated. When you smoke a cigarette after the orgasm, that's your, that's your accumbens being stimulated. When you take heroin, now we're starting to get to the, oh, I lost them. Uh, that's your accumbens being stimulated. When your favorite hockey team wins a game, that's your accumbens being stimulated. It's, you'll hear people call it a reward center. I wouldn't want to call it that, but it's part of a, the reward system. The medulla uh, is important in sleep and wakefulness. 
wakes you up, puts you to sleep, basically. I wouldn't worry too much about that. I had a notification at the top right of my screen. The screen you don't see anything, it's just driving me crazy. Small things make me really weirdly concerned, and then I think about it constantly, and then I start talking about it rather than doing my job. Anyway. Um, so the brain's divided, as I said, into two hemispheres, the left and the right. It's basically, and remember the left, right, it's not looking at someone, it's from your perspective. This is my left hemisphere, this is my right hemisphere. Okay? And they're connected by a bunch of fibers called the corpus callosum. That is great if you know Latin, because corpus means body, and callosum, you can probably guess means big, large. We think we get words like colossal, colossus, etc. Colosseum, it all comes from the same root, right? So it's, it's, it's a connection, a bunch of fibers that connect to the two hemispheres. So they can communicate, right? So it's not like you have two separate brains. That may be the case. There, were, there are cases of, uh, again, this is people with epilepsy, typically they extremely bad, uncontrollable seizures. They'll cut the corpus callosum. Then the seizure release only stays on one side of the brain. It's not done very much. It's like, an incredibly last resort thing. That's like, no one really wants to go in and take parts of your brain. We don't need to do that anymore. But sometimes that can be done, and you end up in a strange situation where someone's what's called a split brain patient. It's like they have literally two minds. So kind of what? And one of the things that you're very generally, the left part of your brain is better at linguistic processing than the right part of your brain. Very, very generally. But it's measurable. So if I, could, if I show something in your left visual field, it goes to your right brain, right? To your right visual field, to the left part of the brain. So if I showed your left, the left part of your brain, Let's see, what are we going to show you? Left language, right. So if I showed you this, that's supposed to be a house. Line drawings are used a lot in neurological tests. Anybody here who's ever had a concussion, uh, you may have ended up actually being tested with line drawings. It's very common. Um, it's just a way to look at your processing. So if I show that in your left hemisphere, and I say, what's that? All of us would instantly say, house. Or you might say, you know, shittily drawn house, but you'd say house. <laughs> and if I showed it to your, to your right hemisphere, left, left, left language, if I showed the left hemisphere, same thing. You know, it's kind of cool actually is you'd still be a little quicker at recognizing it if I showed it to the left hemisphere because you'd have to look at this picture and figure out what it is. If you're a split brain patient, though, you may not be able to actually identify it if I show it to your left hip, to your, yeah, to your right hemisphere, because the words, this is again, very generally, are more stored, the production language is more on the left, so what ends up is you look at it, you won't be able to tell me what it is. But if I show you this, oops. Okay. 
even with my horrible handwriting, you'd be able to look at that and just say house. On the other hand, if you're a split brain patient, maybe in case that if I show you that, it's not even going to show up. Uh, you look at it, you go, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. But if I showed it to both sides, you'd be able to read it. So split brain patients, under very specific circumstances, seem like they have two brains, two minds. Now, that's pretty interesting. But it's also the case that there are other animals other than humans that have, that don't even have corpus callosum. So most birds, like, don't, they don't really have a corpus callosum. They have a small bundle of fibers at the back of their brain that connects the two. They're basically split, split brain patients. So this allows you to teach the animals, say, right hemisphere something and see if it remembers it, if, it, if the information gets transferred to the left. Hmm. So a lot of this work by Nikki Clayton, what she's found over the years is like she'd have uh, birds, again, food storing birds, they store, so they store food and she'd have one of the eyes covered. So if you cover the right, the left eye, now they're storing with their right eye. So the only brain that gets it is their left brain, okay? And then you cover up the other eye and see if they can find the food. Because if, if, if the information transfers, it goes from one side to the other, and it'll be, rec it'll be recognized able to find food, right? But they can't. 24 hours later, they can. It transfers 24 hours later. So a lot of that works, again, Nikki Clayton's work. Uh, it's also the case that within, if you look within um, pigeons, you know, we have a fovea. Humans have a fovea, right? We have one part of our eye, part of our retina that's very sensitive. Well, birds have very often have two. They have one for straight ahead, which is for pecking at things, and one for the side, which is for navigating around flying. But you know what you can do? You can actually project an image to, to the front or to the side, and you can see if they can remember stuff that was taught to the side of their eye. So you show them a picture here, and then you ask them, have you seen this picture before? Or you use even something simpler, you can just use a color, different colors. And in fact, it turns out that it takes time for information to travel from one hemisphere to the other in pigeons, but also just from one fovea to the other. So in fact, it goes from the, uh, say, the, the side one to the front. It takes time, so it's served by different systems in the brain. So you can actually do behavioral neuroscience without having to actually get inside the animal's head. And that work, what's the reference on that? That's, uh, yeah. I think I have this right. Mm. Is that right? Oh, uh, uh, that's right, no, it's not. It's uh, Phelps. that in 97. It's a long time ago. So this is something you can do. I think that's the reference. I may have the names in the wrong order. They have the names wrong. So it's kind of cool that the fact that like, not all brains are the same. They all work the same way, but they aren't, the, the, the anatomy and physiology is all the same. 
All right. So, uh, okay, we have neurons. Let's see, you know, news break. Uh, this just in. We basically have two kinds of cells. We have neurons and glial cells. Neurons do the communicating. Glial cells do support functions. Okay. So, very generally, and we'll get not generally, very specifically into this. Um, but generally, neurons have axons and dendrites. Axons send out information. Again, this is a generalization. <laughs> and dendrites receive information. So I could either draw a neuron, or I could pretend to be a neuron. It's more fun if I pretend to be one. So if I'm a neuron, this is, this, this is my cell body, or my soma, if you want to use that. You can think of my legs. I'm going to put them together like they're one thing. That's the axon, and these are dendrites. I have one axon, I have many dendrites. Some neurons in the human brain have, oh, 10,000 dendrites. So that means 10,000 connections to other neurons. And that's just that way. This should tell you right away we're never rewiring somebody's brain. It's just not going to happen. As cool as Star Trek is, it's not going to be a thing where we can just implant. Like, we're not doing, that's not going to be a thing. You know, no one's uploading their consciousness to the internet. Don't think that. Anybody who tells you that is almost certainly kind of some kind of grifting liar. We are so, maybe one day, in a thousand years, like this isn't happening tomorrow or in your lifetime or in mine. Watching people think we can do that. Sure, we can do that. MRI, fMRI, you can watch people think. We're not downloading all the info. You got like 10 to the 14th neurons. And if each of those has conservatively a thousand connections, yeah, okay, let's just see how you're gonna map that. Let's model that there, Elon. Stupid. It's ridiculous to think that. Let's find out how the brain works, though. It's very cool. But the idea that we're going to be able to put it onto a USB stick is it's completely insane. The processing power of a, of a human brain, hell, the processing power of a you know, bee is incredible. It's nothing like anything we've invented. They may come, but I'd be willing to bet all the money in my pocket versus all the money in your pocket. This won't be happening anytime soon. How much money do I have in my pocket? I may not have very much money, so this may not be a very compelling bet. 20, 40, 45, and some American money. It's not a lot of money. So we have a whole bunch of neurons, technical term, a whole bunch of. A whole bunch of neurons connected, that's called a tract, or a nerve. It depends on where it is. In the peripheral nervous system, we tend to call it a nerve. This is very, again, this is a general term. You will see things called nerves in the central nervous system, and you will see things called tracts in the peripheral nervous system. May not be tracts, I don't, I can, but I can think of nerves that are called nerves, but they aren't in the peripheral nervous system. The one I always remember is you've got your ulnar nerve, which is you know, your funny bone. You can actually feel that. That's in your peripheral nervous system, and that's a nerve. So if you're ever wondering, oh, is, is, is it this nerve go with peripheral or central, you say, well, I have an ulnar nerve, and that's clearly peripheral, because this is not my brain, my spinal column, or my cerebellum. 
that's a general naming um, convention. But like I said, it does vary some. So you will get times when they don't use NERV instead of they use track instead, or vice versa. Like your optic nerve, it's really your central nervous system. So are your eyes. But they aren't. I mean, it's... Uh, all right. So the division, as I say, this is really all about anatomy, the division of the nervous system into, say, the central and the peripheral nervous system. That's an anatomical thing. That's about where something is. There are functional differences, but it's really mostly where they are. We can also talk about the distinction. I mean, nothing wrong with this distinction, as I say here, but it's more about anatomy than physiology. Physiologically, a lot of time you talk about the cranial nervous system. That's in the head, right? And the spinal nervous system. That's in the spine, and then everywhere else. The spine, uh, into the arms, legs, your 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 uh, organs, whatever. Okay. So spinal and cranial. You'll hear that too. I like peripheral and central because there are certain characteristics of the peripheral nervous system and the central nervous system that I can remember. So for example, central nervous system, you don't really regrow neurons in the central nervous system. It's just not a thing. <sighs> yeah, you don't really. You can kind of in very specific circumstances. So it's so much so that I can just say, no, you can't. Like you have trillions of the things and you can grow 150 a day. That's none. <laughs> it's in essence none. Okay? And the peripheral nervous system, you can regrow because if you couldn't, you know, every time you hurt yourself, by the time you were, you know, 10 years old from falling down and skinning your knee, your knees would be numb for the rest of your life, right? By the way, remember I told you, remember I talked about cutting myself with a mandolin? Did it again! Then <laughs> I had a carrot, and it was this one, but it slipped. Oh, shit. Yeah. And you're like, ah! It hurt. It was up there. Oh, good. Thumb sweat. Now, yesterday, with my drill, but anyway, it's <laughs> right there. Point is, though, this will all heal because it's in the peripheral nervous system, right? So it's not like my whole thumb's going to be numb or my finger here's going to be numb because the, the neurons will be good. All right, let's talk of some, cr some cranial things. You have 12 sets of two. You have 12 sets of cranial, neuro uh, cranial nerves, I'm sorry. And they basically control inputs and outputs from stuff in the head. So it can be, you know, your eyes looking around, your blinking your eyes, your tongue to talk. Uh, salivary, there are uh, cranial nerves that control your salivary glands. Things like that. I don't know the names of them. Why well, do the optic nerve? That's an easy one. I don't know the other 11. Pretty good chance you probably, I'm not going to ask you that. If I don't know something, I probably don't think you should know. Just keep that in mind. As a general rule, when I say I don't know a thing, it's usually probably the case that I don't think it's that important to know, right? Um, so the brain stem, remember the brain stem, as I jokingly said, it does not just hold up your brain. 
So it gets input from the senses, right? Except for smell. But it gets input from the senses, and it goes through your brain. So where else could it go? It's got to go through your brain, so up your brain, right? Okay, I don't know why I clapped there. I actually hurt my finger that I messed up with my drill yesterday. You know, I have these little, you know those little lights that you put on top of your fence posts? I, I always thought, I hate those things. I don't want them. I never want to be the guy that has those. But then I got some, and all I care about now is like, ugh, you want to get knocked down by a squirrel? I'm constantly repairing them. Like, when you get older, really weird things happen to your mind. And one of them is you start thinking things like, well, I'm going to make sure those squirrels are affected by neon lights. It's <laughs> when <laughs> so you realize you've become your father, which is, you know, creepy on its own. So the brainstem gets inputs from the senses. That's how I hurt my finger. And it puts to the rest of the body. So it's got to go through your, so it comes from your body, like from the inputs, from there, and go up to here, then, you know, to get analyzed. Then it goes from here, down, out, move around. But I don't know what that was. <laughs> a little weird. I'm sorry. I apologize. Doors. <laughs> Think of that seriously, son. Uh, so anywhere but the head, because that's the cranial nerves. Everything else goes through your spine. So the spinal cranial, I, I like it in a way. I just, like I said, I find the, the CNS, PNS distinction more meaningful to me, and I don't know why that is. It may be because that's the first thing I learned rather than when I learned about the cranial thing, which is probably like the, literally the next thing in the, in the book when I was first, the first time I read this stuff, you know, back when I was young, like you guys. You can divide the brain into what's called the high brain, hind brain, that's the back, the mid brain, and the diencephalon. Diencephalon, that's Latin, two brain. Oh, di is two, and encephalon is brain. So that's going to be more of the cortex, right? Okay. Now I got a picture here that I'm just going to show you. Uh, don't worry about it because this isn't something I, I don't know the names of these things. But that is what the, those are, those are the cranial nerves. Okay? I, 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 I don't know the names. One of the interesting things about cranial nerves, though, is that they're, they're connected to each other. So I had a, an eye infection, not recently, don't worry. You're not going to catch it. But in 2017, was that when I got sick, John? 2017? Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. So I got a really bad flu, and then I got this eye infection, a viral eye infection. By the way, if anybody says to you, I do you want to know a viral eye infection? Pass. They're no fun. They're not as good as, you know bacterial eye infections like we all had in school? One kid gets pink eye, and the next day the whole school's got pink eye, right? Um, it's not like that. It's just way more contagious, yet you can't do anything about it. Like, I have it right now, but it's in remission. That's how the viral infections work, or like, like that work. Anyway, point is, my eye got so full of virus particles that um, I couldn't see it in my left eye, even worse than now. <laughs> and 
there was no light getting in. So what happens is my optic nerves are saying, well, you should um, dilate pupils a little bit. But it makes both eyes do that. So my right eye, which didn't have any, never has had any infection in it, the pupil's all the way open. Yet it's the middle of the day. <laughs> so I'm teaching in a classroom with my head down, wearing a ball cap, covering it like this, and with all the lights on. <laughs> That's how I did it. And about every 20 minutes, I have to stop and put steroid eye drops in my eye. It's good times. It's a lot of fun. It's great, too, when you realize, you think to yourself, you know, I've only got 10% normal vision, and now it's worse. <laughs> thanks. And I think I blamed, uh, it's probably Obama's fault. So I just thanks, thank Obama, and it's a joke. People do that, because they're idiots. Point is, though, my other eye, it was funny, because I went to the ophthalmologist, and he, I, I said, there's nothing wrong with my right eye, right? I said, other than, you know, the regular things wrong with my eyes. And he said, no, 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 it hasn't spread, and I don't think it will, just make sure you don't touch. I said, don't worry, I'm not, even, I'm not touching that other eye that a hazmat suit on, it's not a problem. And, and then I said, oh, I know why, it's because the two cranial nerves, and he looked at me, he said, how do you know that? I said, well, I just taught that. He's like, oh, okay. I said, you can talk brain to me, it's fine. Get all technical if you want. But yeah, anyway, it's fine now. I mean, fine as it is. Last time I went to the eye doctor, they're like, the optometrist though for my glasses. He looked and went, oh, that really did a number on your eye, eh? I said, well, that's really, that's what I want to hear from a healthcare professional. <laughs> that's what I want to hear. I want to hear, I want to hear, boy, that's, darn it, there's not a freaking thing I can do to that. You're screwed. <laughs> that's what I want to hear from a healthcare professional. That's, I want to, I actually taught that person this class in this room. All right. So they're connected, which is kind of cool, because usually one eye and the other are connected. <laughs> they're fine, you're in the same world, but anyway. It's nice, I haven't had a relapse of the thing, but I've been told, my ophthalmologist said, you know, this could happen any time. You could wake up one morning, you just can't see it, and your left eye gets. So it's kind of fun. I wake up in the morning and go, yes! <laughs> I, I don't see well, but it could be shittier. <laughs> So let's talk about the high brain. Um, there's a lot of fine movement stuff. Balance. This is really old evolutionary stuff. This is a very old part of your brain. And the cerebellum's part of that too. This is key for fine movement. Um, and it has something, it has some value in learning. It also has quick movements. So if you take a look at a the size of the cerebellum in a frog. And divide, you know, compared to this brain size. Compared to us, they have way bigger cerebellum. You know what frogs can do? They can look over there, see a fly, and stick their tongue out and grab it. You couldn't do that. You could, I mean, yeah, I know your tongue doesn't work like that, but you couldn't grab one. Speaking of Bob, you remember that? He was just, he did that one day in an interview. It's like, my God, he's magic. Being interviewed, he's like, it was a fly, he just went like that. And it's like, you really are. He's a Cylon. I might get a Cylon. Fracking toasters. Anybody watch Battlestar Galactica? I'm just on a Battlestar Galactica rewatch right now, so. There might be references to, the, to that. So, but if you look at a huge cerebellum in a, in a frog. You know what frogs can't do? Like, if I took your, I don't think it's 
No, because I, I think you might want to talk with us now or in a couple of weeks. Talk so if I took your eyes and turned them upside down, which would be very mean, by the way, and I imagine hurt like a son of a bitch, but if I did that, you'd have trouble walking around, but in a couple hours you'd be fine. Yes? Sorry, is the cerebellum, is that part of, you said it's part of a hindbrain? Yeah, no, it's not really part of a hindbrain. It's right beside it. So that's why I'm including this here because it's sort of nice and all good. Okay. Thank you for asking this. That's actually a good question. I should, I should make that slide more clear. Should I do that right now? Yeah, I'm gonna do that right now because I'm not gonna remember to do it. This is good. I'm just gonna put a little, Uh, and that now will remind me to say, now remember the cerebellum isn't actually part of it. Good. But yeah, if I took your eyes and turned on, you'd be fine. If you have to a frog, they, they, they die. Every time there's a fly over here, they go down here. Our, our brains can adjust to those kind of things. Uh, other animals can't. And people have actually done that with frogs. They're frogs. And it was ages ago. Go back in time and protest the frog people. I don't know. What I'm saying is there's not a lot you can do right now, so don't get too concerned about it. Um, the reticular formation, this is right. I wish I should have brought. Ah, didn't bring the damn thing. But if the reticular formation, if, there's the brain. Well, so there's your brain, which looks, again, a lot like an army helmet. And then you got the. There's the cerebellum. There's the reticular formations right around here. The medulla, I talked about force part of that. It just basically it wakes you up. It wakes you up. When I was in grad school, I had a fainting episodes. I, I faint sometimes, and it's perfectly fine. I've been tested. I actually, my blood pressure isn't high enough, which knowing me, the little bit you already do is probably surprising. But uh, I remember the first time I had it, and I was in grad school, and I went to the student health center, and it was at U of T, so, you know, they've got medical school, so it's pretty easy. Go in there, and it's, it's the door, your doctor, you seem fine. What do you think it might be? And I said, well, I think it's probably a big tumor in my reticular activating system. She said, see, that's a good indication that you have just enough knowledge to be dangerous. So yeah, I don't think it actually is. She said, no, you're fine. But it ha does happen now and then when I'm lecturing. I, mean, I, I feel it coming, and I usually just go, okay, just a And it goes away. Yes, John? So, um, so when sleeping, do you, do you get enough um, sleep when your uh, brain shuts down? Like, um, hmm. you don't um, drink cola or any other caffeinated drinks. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Are you asking why that keeps you awake? Why cola keeps you, like, why caffeine keeps you awake? Is that what you're asking? Okay. Oh, very generally, we're going to go really in a lot more detail into this in about a month and a half, but generally what happens is what caffeine does is it stops the messages that tell you you feel tired. Yeah, it stops those very generally. I, we'll get a lot more. I, I, you don't have enough background yet to understand yeah. the other stuff, but yeah, generally it makes you feel not tired. 
it doesn't make you actually not tired. It makes you feel like you're not tired. So you do have enough balance when your um, high brain's working? Well, your high brain, yeah. It, it, well, yeah. I mean, if it works properly, everything's fine. Yeah. The only time we ever know when something's screwed up, well, not the only time, but one of the reasons ways we find out where something's screwed up is in your brain is that your behavior's all on it. Right? And we've learned a lot about function of the nervous system by looking at dysfunction. So a lot of the things that, like, look at this stuff with HM and the hippocampus. We wouldn't have known that had Scoville not taken out HM's hippocampus, which is kind of too bad that that happened. <laughs> right? But still, we learned about the importance of hippocampus by dysfunction. By some, same sort of thing would happen with, with, with sleep and wakefulness, with all kinds of things. That's a good question. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now, the midbrain. So now, what we're into the, uh, I got a picture in a second, we'll see, but. So the midbrain has a couple of important features I want to talk about here. So we've got the superior, well, the detectum has two parts. The superior colliculus, you probably guess what the other one's called, the inferior colliculus. The superior colliculus is part of one of your visual systems. We've got more than one. We've got three, basically. So what the superior colliculus does is it does things like, where do you look at something? Where do you move your eyes? Okay, so it's making those kind of decisions. And in non-human mammals, um, well, in some, sorry, non-mammalian vertebrates, not non-human mammals. So anything that isn't a mammal, but it's a vertebrate, the superior colliculus basically is, is taking the place of our occipital lobe. It's doing visual processing. Um, mammals have, a, have also evolved the occipital lobe that does that. So birds, for example, don't have a, a, a sort of a cerebral cortex. They don't have the, like, the wrinkly bits. What they have, so they don't have an occipital lobe, but they do have a superior colliculus that can do visual. And the inferior colliculus is involved in auditory processing, receives input uh, from various brain, brainstem nuclei. Okay, so it's doing auditory stuff. And just below the, this tectum is called the tegmentum, which is also important in movement, especially movement for vision. What is movement for vision? Well, it's actually just what it sounds like. I move my head to look at something. I pick something up to look at it. Now, the picking up part isn't controlled by that, but the decision to behave in a certain way to see something is controlled by that. I know that you're sitting thinking, what? It doesn't seem, no, it doesn't seem like that at all. It all. It's all seamless, right? It all happens at once. It's cool, though. I almost just poured coffee all over myself. That would have been bad. Yeah, what it is. So 
Oh, here we go. There's some of these places we've been talking about. So you can see this very close up part. This would be all underneath here. All underneath the cortex, inside it. That, that, that uh, drawing there is actually from a very famous uh, human anatomy book called Gray's Anatomy. Because, because the, the show is named after a famous textbook, and I'm not kidding. And it's not the textbook was named after the show. That would be stupid. <laughs> so the, the textbook, like the show is actually named after the textbook, and it's something people, I have Grey's Anatomy um, brain pictures in my office, like they're sitting in my, on my office wall. What are we doing here? No, we got a little time left. Okay. The diencephalon. So now look at this. Diencephalon, we're, we're, we're just below the cortex here. Thalamus. Cerebellum's underneath. Hypothalamus. This is what I talked about at the beginning. And as I mentioned the other, just before, the hypothalamus deals with, deals with hunger and thirst and sex and things like that. And thermal regulation, which is you know keeping your warm and cold. The thalamus is your sensory router. Okay. So that gives you an idea where this stuff is. Oh, what I've been doing the last like 10 minutes or so is we're building up. And the more recent I talk about something, it's the more recently showed up in evolution. Okay. We have the forebrain. Oops. And this is where the lobes are. So the basal ganglia, basal means the base, and ganglia is just a bunch of nerve, bunch of neurons. So the basal ganglia is a bunch of neurons right at the base of the cortex. So remember, we, so far we've been talking about, we've been sort of going up. If you think about my arm being like the brain stem, it goes up and then here we have the hind brain, now we're into the midbrain, and now we're gonna put the stuff on top, which is basically the, the, the cortex, right? Um, so right here, it will be the basal ganglia. It's right between the diencephalon and the cortex, okay? And what it's doing is deciding, like the basal ganglia helps decide which of the several possible behaviors to execute. Because a lot of ways I can go get something to see it, for example. So I, let's say I want to read what's written on my cup, which I, I can't actually because of my vision, but I, I know what it says, but let's pretend that it's, I've never looked at this cup before. Well, there's a couple behaviors I could do. I can just grab it like that. I can do this. So making that decision, some of that's happening at basal gang in the basal ganglia. So collectively, this whole thing is known as the cortex, the, the wrinkly bits. They're just before what's called the neocortex. The thing that we think of as the brain, we think of as the cortex, is what we call a neocortex because it's new. Neo is just a, it's a Latin prefix for new. Latin is Um So the old cortex, the limbic cortex, is just below. Then we have the neocortex on top. And I just mentioned the basal ganglia. Mm. 
the substantia nigra, there you go. This is really important in smooth movement. <coughs> and again, substantia nigra means black stuff. And that's because it's staying black. It's um, so that's where Parkinson's happens. So people with Parkinson's um, don't have enough dopamine uh, produced in their substantial nigra, so they don't have smooth movement anymore. It's jerky, or if it's at all. You might think, why don't we just inject dopamine into somebody's head? Or into their arm or something? Because it can't get past what's called the blood-brain barrier. So people are given a... Uh, the first set of treatments that was ever used that was useful for um, Parkinson's was using levodopa, or it's also it's spelled uh, just called L-dopa. And what you do with L-dopa is people are given that, and it's a precursor to dopamine. It's almost dopamine, and it's helpful. Um, just I'm pointing this out because it's not it's L-dopa. It's not. <coughs> not endopa, which is I wrote on a test once when I was in a class like this a long time ago. And the prof wrote on the test, it's not the name of a matador, Dave, which I thought was very funny, so I thought I'd bring that up. Okay. Oh, I think we just missed a whole slide. I think I just yeah, we did. I fast forward. Yeah, okay. No, I didn't have any uh, points coming up. Um, the limbic system, as I said, is just below the cortex. As you can see here, we got, there's some cortex right on top of this. We got the hippocampus, which I've talked about. We've got the amygdala, which I've talked about. It's important in motion. We've got the nucleus accumbens, which runs on dopamine, which is important for reward. Right? And we've got our, the olfactory bulb, which is right there. Uh, the, our, our olfactory bulb is really, really small. We aren't animals that live in a smelly world, right? We don't get around by smell, we just don't. We smell bad things, like the smell of sweat in this room whenever I walk into it. Weird, it smells like a, like a, like, like a gym, a high school gym is what it smells like. Not as bad, remember the, a couple weeks ago there, how bad it was? Oh. Anyway, um, we don't spend a lot of processing power on olfaction, on smell. It is the oldest sense that any animal has. Like evolutionarily, it's the oldest sense. It's a chemical sense. It's, it's to detect concentrations of chemicals. That's what smells are, right? And when you smell something, that's a, a smell receptor lining your nose, um, having a molecule bind to it, and then you interpret that as a smell. What you tell you, when you smell something gross, some of that stuff's literally in your nose. So, if you smell, when your friend pukes on Saturday night because they drank too much because they're an idiot, and it smells like puke, there's puke in your nose. Just thought I'd remind you. When you smell a fart, there's actual fart in your nose. 
Where does it send it to? Like uh, the receptor? The, when the, what, what receptor? Uh, the smell receptor? Where does it? Oh! Like, does it, is it, is it process? Like, it goes straight back to the occipital lobe. Oh, sorry, to the olfactory lobe. Okay. That's what's processed. It doesn't go through the thalamus at all or anything like that. It goes straight back to the thalamus. Smell's a weird sense. It's different than all our other senses. We're going to go from there. Like, uh, so, so like, uh, say, uh, you're like, oh, you smell something bad. Yeah. It goes right to the olfactory lobe, um, and then you're like, oh, i got to get out of here or something. Uh, yeah, that would be more cortical stuff. Then. Yeah. So, so, it goes, uh, so that, that signal goes to the cortex? It goes to cortex, yes, but in all kinds of other places. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it happens. The weird thing about this is it happens so quickly that it seems to happen so quickly. It actually happens slowly. We just feel like it happens quickly, and it feels like it's seamless. It just happens right away, and it, of course, again, it takes time to put all the stuff together. We have our experience of seamless, which is really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Brains are incredible things. Like, I mean, the fact that all these things are happening, and most of what's happening right now, I'm not aware of. I can't be. Right? Like, it's monitoring my blood sugar, my brain. I, I, I don't know if it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, two things. Please. What did you say HP? Hippocampus. Hippocampus. Yep. Are we still talking within the context of like the foreground and whatnot? Yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. Thank you. No problem. Now, the spinal nervous system, um, your spinal column, we can divide it up into what are called, uh, well, there's different segments. And we got nerves running to and from the spinal column to control the body and receive input. It just sounds weirdly. Now it stops as soon as I say that. <laughs> it just seems, it just, it doesn't, I don't think it's bad. People have lives and they're doing a thing. It just seems like, what? I keep hearing something. Feel like we're in a paperboard or something. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's funny, I was, I remember teaching once in here, and it used to be the Sault Ste. Marie Innovation Center was in here, which was a, I don't know what it was. I actually don't know what they did. They were innovating. And I was giving a test. First test in this class, and they were all out there, and they were really loud, and I walked outside, and I said, can you people innovate a little more quietly, please? I was pretty proud of that. Apparently, it wasn't that funny. Anyway, so we've got these, each of these segments on our spinal column correspond to a segment on your skin called a dermatome. Derma, skin. Tome, like a book. So it's something you, you're, allowed, you're able to read in a way that we read your spinal column these dermatomes. So for example, if you get if you get uh, damage, let's say from let's see, what do we have there? Is that about C4? It's about right there. So if you broke your neck right there, okay, you wouldn't be able to feel anything from there down. Um, and you wouldn't be able to move either. 
And there's other ones, so you can take a look, for example, if you look right about, let's see, here, here we go. That's gonna be, that's C5 right there. So there's one that, if you wanna take a look there, runs along around here. You ever felt something weird, like you just feel like a tingling in your arm? A lot of times that's actually because you get a pinched nerve in your neck. That's because your neck pinches the nerve and then the information can't travel from part of your arm through your spinal column because it's pinched. Okay. This is one of the ways that you, if you ever are experiencing uh, something like uh, numbness or something like this, you'll very often, you'll go into a doctor's office and what they'll do is they'll poke you uh, with, well, probably a, maybe their pen, but they know where to touch you. Right? Yeah, right. Um, is that the same thing like when like your arm goes to sleep? Like, is that the same thing that's happening? Uh, no, your arm goes to sleep. Uh, like when you get like tingly? Yeah, like... it could be depending on how you were lying. If you're right on top of your arm, it's not that actually. That's oh right. But if it's the way you would head your neck, the way the best way to tell. Like for example, there's a dermatome that runs along here, and then like that, and then through here. And this is why, it, in fact, the ulnar nerve is what controls it. You can make the ulnar nerve. There it goes. So you can make your finger split, and then again, make your finger move. Um, you can't block out the whole hand. But if I, I'm not going to do this, but if I put a weight on your hand and say you can't move for a couple hours, your whole hand would feel tingly, right? Yeah, but that's, that would be back here. And Johnny, you questions. So, um, so when you go to the doctor, do you get a, a positive test on, from a needle for your uh, blood? Well, this is different though. So this isn't, well, they would use a needle. I wasn't clear about that. So they wouldn't they would use a needle, they use a pin, a pin or a pen. And they just poke at you like this. And you would actually, so you had your arm. And if, if, if you had damage right about, like a bear. It's very convenient having somebody who shares your genes because you can do whatever you want with them. So right about there. So then, let's say you had damage there. You wouldn't feel anything here. And then down, you can see from the picture, down through here and up to there. You're right. Okay? It might be actually completely numb. Or very often it will be tingly or something. Right? And in fact, I mean, I, I hurt myself all the time. But... Because I'm 50 years old, I hurt myself all the time. It's like, how's it going? Well, something hurts. That's what I You get about 40, something hurts. I can tell you, you know how you know when you're starting to get old? You wake up one morning and go, why is my left earlobe sore? I didn't do anything with it. How is that even a thing? But you might wake up with, uh, I remember one time waking up feeling tingly, and I knew, and I was like, oh, I think it's my neck. And I actually kind of cracked it, and it went away. It's like, oh, I probably shouldn't do self chiropractic. <laughs> Get... um, it's like different like um, moods, like kind of like with a mental aspect. Is that at all connected with the spinal nervous system? Like my sister had it that she's like, like possibly even if you're in fight and flight or something, like my sister had it that she's at the hospital and she's had a, for her mental health and she they kind of like okay like look away whatever and they're touching your arm and they're like can you feel that can you feel that she's like no she's gonna feel the touching yeah. her arm yeah 
So is that it's quite possibly in that case? That it's quite possibly just something that like a pinch nerve. Oh. So case. it's not connected to. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. Oh. It's more likely the reason they would be testing it, and they would be testing it using well, they know these charts in their heads, neurologists, yeah. but they would actually be going here and then here, like they, they would go down and up through the the the, 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 the skin to see where, they, where you feel it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, can it be something that isn't controlled, like through like like damage, like nerve damage in your spinal column or something? It can be. Excuse me, it doesn't have to be, mm -hmm. but it can be. Yeah. Oh, jeez, we're getting time. Oh, it's almost time to quit. Let's see. We can finish this stuff up. Yep. So, inside the spinal column, this is a little. We have what's called the dorsal root. That's to the back towards your back, and the ventral root, that's towards the front. So the dorsal root is sensory, and the ventral root does movement. So the dermatome back here that controls, say, this part here, it controls not only my feeling here, but it also controls those two fingers. Okay? And this is universal throughout all vertebrates. So much so that it's got a name that has the word law after it. This is the velvet genuine. It's dorsal from the sensory ventral to movement. Everybody's spinal column is hooked up like this. This isn't something that's affected by your culture or your religion or the color of your skin or the language you speak or any of those things. We are all hooked up just like this. So which is basically true of everything I talk about here. All right. So, almost done. We have the internal or autonomic system, which you can see that I'm not spending much time on it. This does, uh, the, the, we have the sympathetic system does arousal and the parasympathetic system that does cooling down. And most of this is a hormonal system. Hormones are just like neurotransmitters, except they work more slowly and they work on organs instead of other neurons. But it's a slow process, this one. So while things that happen in your central and peripheral nervous system seem to happen almost immediately, things in your autonomic system are slow. It's also, as I said, sometimes called the internal nervous system, which seems like an odd term because it's all internal. I, I don't like that. I like autonomic better. Okay. Here are some principles of nervous system organization. The sequence goes like this. In, input, so that's sense, something sensory. Integration, that's the signal is modified in some way. That's like thinking, basically. And then the output, which is some kind of behavior. there's a fun functional divide between sensory and motor systems, right? Think about the dorsal and ventral root. We, it's not like they are with each other. They, 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 it's not like parts of your say, spinal column do both movement and sensation. One part does movement, one part does sensation. The inputs and outputs are crossed. What I mean by that is that we have both, when we get um, an input, Right beside it is the area that does output. Like if you think about within a dermatome, 
right? And they, they're, they're, they're crossed, they're right beside each other, okay? We have symmetry and asymmetry. For the most part, the left part of our brain is the same as the right part of our brain. It looks the same, it's functionally the same. There, are, there is some asymmetry. We have excitation and inhibition. One of the biggest things that our nervous system does is we get, we do things, that's excitation, or we don't do things, that's inhibition. And a lot of what, you, basically all your nervous system is doing is excitation and inhibition. We have multiple levels of function. I, I've mentioned things about vision, even just today, we haven't talked about how the visual system works, right? I, didn't I say we had three visual systems earlier on? Yeah. There's different levels of function in the nervous system. All of these ideas come from a person named Hewlings Jackson. Hewlings Jackson was a neurologist. Yeah, I guess we call him neurologist. And his sort of most famous thing is that nervous systems are hierarchical and parallel. Hierarchical means there's different levels. And parallel means things are happening all at once. Okay? We'll get more into that as we go along, but there's a lot of analysis happening all at the same time. That's parallel, but there are different levels. It's hierarchical. Finally, things are localized and distributed. I talked about how you have different parts of your brain to do productive and receptive language. That's localized, different regions, but it's, it's also um, distributed all over your brain, especially if you're doing things like speaking a second language. That's happening using the whole thing all the time. These all seem to be contradictory, but they actually aren't. And the final thing I want to show you is something I don't you don't have to learn or anything. I'm going to show you that you'll understand that diagram by the end of the course. That's the human visual system. And it's actually not, that looks really super horrible. It's not that bad at all. It's really easy. And it makes sense. It's kind of cool. And on that note, we will pack it in for today. And I will see you on Wednesday. Thanks, everybody.
So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved, so you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, and then it was called Podsafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to... Uh, Put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post, and uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music. Because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay ninety nine cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time. <laughs>